For those of you who have been coming to Wednesday night services, you know that I like to ask you all a question. Typically after we read the scripture together as we have pondered and listened to what the Spirit is saying to us through that scripture. But tonight I'm going to switch it up. Are you ready? I'm going to ask the question before we read the scripture. Oh, oh. So friends, I've got a question for you. Take a moment to think about all of the Sunday school classes you've been in, all of the worship services, and I want you to think about the person of Jesus you have met through those classes and those spaces. And how would you describe Jesus? In one or two words, how would you describe who Jesus is? Just show of hands or shout it out. Take a few moments to think. If you want to pipe in online, please type in the comment section. Who is Jesus for you? Yes. Kind, compassionate, and understanding. Amen. Jacqueline. Teacher. Yes. Micah. Dang it, Micah. <laughs> yes, I'm the, right behind you, Dan, and then I'm going to come to you. Yes. Redeemer, Dan. Love and friendship. These are great. Savior and protector. What else you got, my friends? Yes, Marcy. Rep. Way to lean us into, into the scripture. But on a whole, what I heard was love, redeemer, kindness, compassionate. All of those love words, right, that lift our spirits. But what we hear in the scripture that we are about to read doesn't quite match those descriptions. So who is it that Jesus says that he is? We are going to be reading from Matthew chapter 10, verses 34 through 39. Hear now the word of the Lord. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and ones whose foes will be members of one's own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up the cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Those who find their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake will find it. Let's rest in these words for just a moment and turn to our God in prayer once again. God, we thank you for your scriptures that you have given to us, for the multitude of ways that you reach out to us, 
And God, this evening, I ask that you would open our hearts and our minds and our ears to be able to hear your invitation to us tonight. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So what does this mean? As we have mentioned just a few moments ago, when we have learned about Jesus or talk about Jesus, we tend to remember the good gospel stories, those stories that make us feel lifted up, the stories of the ways Jesus showed love, brought good news to persons who were poor, experiencing homelessness or depravity, the stories where he proclaimed release to those who were held captive by the circumstances of this world and society, the stories where he healed those who were sick, regardless of the disease or the day of the week that it happened to be on, the moments where he showed us that he came to bring freedom to the least of these. Those are the stories we tend to focus on, the moments that we lean into. We focus on Jesus' love and attention to those who were the least. Jesus' love. But you know what we don't often focus on? Is the way that those messages, those interactions that Jesus had with the least of these affected those who were in positions of power and authority, the ways that those messages, these countercultural, upside-down ways of ministry, thank you, Micah, were received by those persons who had authority in the religious context and then the political context, the persons who had wealth. How were these messages received? Last week, if you joined us, we, I preached on Isaiah chapter 61, the words that Jesus would read from the scrolls in Luke chapter 4. And if we were to read that part of scripture in the gospel of Luke, we remember that the, the good, uplifting part of that story was when Jesus stood before the, in front of his home church around the people who watched him grow up, pull out the scroll and begin to read. But the way in which he read that prophecy was not received the way that we would hope or we would expect. Instead, immediately following that reading, Jesus was chased out of town by an angry mob of people who were in positions of privilege. If we take another look at how Jesus' message was received by those persons of power, we see that his ministry of radical inclusion and embodied spirituality was often perceived as a threat to the religious and political order of society. It was received as divisive and harmful to the status quo. So much so that the burden of the truth Jesus was carrying 
was death. So if we look at the gospel from this lens, if we look at this moment of scripture from Matthew chapter 10 in this way, this self-proclamation that Jesus did not come to bring peace, but a sword. The question for us this evening is what does this mean for us today? As people who are called disciples of Jesus Christ, followers of Jesus Christ, how are we invited to share in this ministry that Jesus has invited us to through his life and his death and his resurrection? What is Jesus inviting us to in these verses? Might Christ be burdening us with a truth for such a time as this? Think about the times in which we are living. The world that we see is a broken world, a time when women are still not considered in some denominations as full members of the body of Christ, able to carry a message of good news. A time when teachers in our schools are required to remove books from classrooms, omitting important aspects of our nation's history. A time when inflation is increasing and the poverty line continues to decrease. What might Jesus be inviting us to in this time for such a time as this? I wonder if we don't already know exactly what Jesus might be calling us to do by the nature of our own faith and the ways that we have been in prayer. But the struggle is that the cost is heavy. The burden is profound. We may not be facing death like Jesus, but we could face the loss of friends, the loss of family, the loss of... our own pride. To be burdened with a truth is a heavy responsibility, one that takes courage and strength and thick skin. And if you're like me, you wonder if this is really my place. Is it my place to take on and speak the truth in love? Is it my responsibility? Is it my call as a disciple of Jesus Christ? And Jesus' answer to this question is clear. Yes. By the nature of who we are, we are called to resist evil and justice and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves. As we just heard in the vows for membership just a few moments ago. But thanks be to God that we are not the only ones throughout history who have been burdened with a truth to share by the Holy Spirit over the course of time. If we go back into the Old Testament, 
to the prophet Jeremiah, we see someone who was also burdened with a truth to share to people whom he loved. The prophet Jeremiah was someone who God called to share messages from God to God's people of Israel from the year 626 B.C. through 587 B.C. From the 13th year of King Josiah's reign all the way until the fall of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple. In Jeremiah... We are privileged to see a man who is struggling with what it might look like to carry such a burden. We get to see his personal moments where it almost feels like we are reading his own diary, where he narrates the ups and the downs of ministry, where he cries out to God in moments of weakness, where he is unsure if he can continue carrying a message. We get a glimpse into the humanity of the person behind the mighty words of a prophet. So hear these words now from Jeremiah chapter 20, verses 7 through 13. You can follow along in your bulletins. Jeremiah, in a prayer to God, cries, Oh Lord, you have enticed me. And I was enticed. You have overpowered me and you have prevailed. I have become a laughingstock all day long. Everyone mocks me. For whenever I speak, I must cry out. I must shout violence and destruction. For the word word of the Lord has become for me a reproach and a derision all day long. If I say I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, then within me there is something like a fire burning, shut up in my bones. I am weary with holding it in, and I cannot. But the Lord is with me. Like a terrifying warrior, therefore my persecutors will stumble and they will not prevail. They will be greatly shamed, for they will not succeed. I invite you to jump now down to verse 13, where at the end of this prayer, Jeremiah the prophet says, Sing to the Lord, praise the Lord. For he has delivered the life of the needy from the hands of the evildoers. The moment for me is verse 9. This moment where he doesn't feel as though he can continue proclaiming this word. And yet, when he struggles with it, he says, if I were to stop, There is something like a burning fire within me, and I cannot hold it in. This word of God that God has placed on his heart to share with others is not something he can hold in, but must share, must share, like a burning fire. 
If you were with us on Sunday morning, you heard Catherine's amazing sermon where she showed us a video clip of our new bishop, Bishop Berlin. And in that video clip, he was talking about John Wesley, the founder of the United Methodist Church, this Methodist movement that we are a part of today. There was a moment at a place called Aldersgate where we say John Wesley's heart was strangely warmed. But Bishop Berlin was talking about a time in Bristol where uh, he was witnessing, or John Wesley was invited to come and witness something called field preaching, a new movement of church that became a necessity because there were so many people in Bristol. There were not enough places of worship. So John's friend began field preaching and invited John to go with him. And Bishop Berlin said this, we say that at Aldersgate, John Wesley's heart was strangely warmed, but in Bristol, his heart was set afire. Almost as though the Holy Spirit's put something in John Wesley's heart about what it is that John Wesley was called to do. And John Wesley, we see through his entire life, could not quench that fire. So John Wesley continued to begin a movement that we call Methodism, continued to pursue, continued to fan the flames, so much so that it even angered the Church of England. And the Church of England no longer allowed him to preach within the walls of their churches. He spent the rest of his life joyously burdened with this truth of the Holy Spirit. And because of that, John Wesley went to action and fanned the flames and so many other peoples. Flames that continue to this day. We are sitting in this place because of this passion of John Wesley that he could not let go. And on his deathbed, over, after over 70 years of full-time ministry, at the end of it all, John Wesley's final words were this. The best of all, God is with us. I wonder how John Wesley and how Jeremiah continued to, to pour their hearts out to share the message that was burdened on their heart, even in the midst of difficult times, even in the midst of facing the cost of what that message would bring. And I believe this is the reason. John Wesley's exclamation at the end of his life, his final words, saying the best of all is God is with us. We hear that in Jeremiah as well at the beginning of verse 11. But the Lord is with me. Best of all, God is with us. So how did he find the courage to say the things that God had put on his heart to say? Best of all, God is with me. Friends, this is who we are. 
This is who we have called to be. As a people who love Jesus Christ, we have been called to share the good news of Jesus Christ, even if that good news doesn't seem like good news to everyone. Even if that good news comes at a risk, comes at a cost, by speaking truth and love into places of uneven power. That is who Jesus was. That is who Jesus is inviting us to be. We are invited to speak truth that brings light into dark places. As we sang at the beginning of our service, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. To proclaim release to those who are held captive. Our words and our actions together are ways that we are invited to share the witness of Jesus Christ right here and right now, today. A truth that takes action against systemic racism that continues to pervade our society. A truth that seeks to be in relationships with people who have different life experiences from us. A truth that begins to ponder what different kinds of ministry to persons of different abilities might look like. There are a multitude of truths that Christ is inviting us to proclaim this day. And the best of all is that by the power of the Holy Spirit is that Christ is with us on this journey. Christ comes alongside us in these moments to stir up our hearts, to ignite the flames, to get us moving. We do not do this work alone. Indeed, we are upheld by the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the living God, who has already gone before us, who has been at work in every facet of our lives, already doing the work that Jesus once did so long ago, working to bring the kingdom of God here. But if you're like me, you wonder what the first step might be. How can we step into this call that Christ has put upon our hearts to respond to the flames that have been ignited? even in the midst of fear. This evening, I invite us into three possible ways of, ex three possible experiences of ways that we might be able to step into what God is calling us to do. Even if we might not know what that means yet. First, I invite us to Ponder this book together. This is called the United Methodist Church's Social Principles. It is a work of the global United Methodist Church where persons have come together to consider scripture, tradition, and our common experiences and ask the question, how are we called to be people of faith followers of Jesus Christ right here and right now in our present modern-day context. It, has, it is a wonderful resource of the ways that United Methodists are called to be 
in action today. So I invite you, if you've never seen this before, to ask Micah uh, to get you a copy. It is a wonderful resource, and if you have any questions, to please talk to us about it. Ask your questions. Ponder with us as we do this work together. The second is to step into a, another area where United Methodists are hard at work stepping into the world of social justice, something called the Methodist Federation of Social Action is a group of United Methodists here in Florida and all around who are working and pondering these very things that are here. And how can we be active in our communities? There's a North uh, Central District group that I will be joining. And if you are interested, I'd love for you to come alongside me as we ponder what it looks like for us to be about the work Jesus Christ in the world right now. And the third is to simply have conversations of people who, with people who might not look like us, that do not have the same experiences as us, that have different life stories that we can learn from and grow from. All of these are ways that we can baby step into what God might be calling us into right now, how we are called to be the church in this present moment. Despite our fear, despite what the world might say we are supposed to do, who is it that Christ is inviting us to be right now, in this moment, at such a time as this? And the good news is that we're not alone in this work. Because the best of all, God is with us. God was with us then. God is with us now. And God will continue to walk alongside us until the very end of the age. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.